Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer. Well, uh, Mr. Pfeiffer. I do. I do. I'm pregnant. It's a boy. Happy birthday. I'm pregnant. It's a girl. Happy Mother's Day. You're not really hearing me. You're not listening. You can't let go of anything. Why should you be responsible for anything? Oh, that's right. You're perfect, and I've done nothing right in 15 years. My favorite therapist was the one with the birthmark on his forehead. Right, the one that looked like the state of California. How could you pay attention to anything that guy was saying? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pfeiffer Fridays, where we walk you through the films of one Michelle Pfeiffer, and every F word automatically has a silent P. I'm Michael McLean. And I'm Jerry Downey. And today we are back to 1999 and covering the story of us, starring Bruce Willis, Rita Wilson, Rob Reiner, Julie Haggerty, Tim Matheson, and La Pfeiffer as one half of the titular us, Katie Jordan. So Jerry, you've seen this before, haven't you, Jerry? Once, I've, I've seen it once. What um, prompted you to watch it the first time? It was part of my quarantine Michelle. Um, That's what I figured it probably was. Yeah, part of part of my marathon. Yeah, it, it was one of like a stack of seven of her movies I'd never seen before that I got from the library. So I know this was around the time I saw Thousand Acres and One Fine Day for the first time and um, Dangerous Minds. Like there mm-hmm. were... It, <laughs> A lot of her 90s movies, which were apparently my biggest blind spot yeah. that I needed to catch up on. And this this was one of that stack. Okay. See, I'd never seen this. This is a part of her very interesting 1999 that she had with this movie, with A Midsummer Night's Dream, and then with The Deep End of the Ocean. And yeah, but before we get into the movie, do you want to, can you, do you want to do our, your high-low for me? Can we, what was your high-low of the day so far? Um, my high was telling myself that I will never have to watch this movie a third time. Uh, my low was something I will get to later in this episode. Okay. So mine was, my high is doing this with you. Aww. Are you sure it's not your Cuisinart? Although, Mike, we have to get a new coffee machine today. I'm going to Target after this to get a new coffee machine because ours broke. So to be continued there. Your real high is upcoming. Who knows? (laughs) We may find a really amazing coffee machine later. But um, my low was not this movie, funny enough, but it was that um, the battery in our smoke alarm died during night. So that was going off at around... 4 a.m. Always. Never, never during, you know, a period when you're awake. Right. It's never a good 5.30 p.m. smoke alarm dying. It's it's always early morning. So, yeah, that was kind of the low of the day. <laughs> but it's fine now. We went to the bodega. We got a battery. Problem We're all set fault. to go. But that was, that was the low when I was that woken it, up at 4.30 a.m. That's an understandable low. Yeah. But I guess maybe... Uh, although I don't even want, to, even want to say the low was this movie because I feel like we had very different experiences with this movie. And that is something that I will be very upfront about. Mm-hmm. 
is that I don't know that I could tell people that this is a bad movie, but I have to be 100% honest that I actively dislike this movie. Okay. And sometimes that's a very fine line because there are always movies that, you know, people are, I don't think this is a movie that people are jizzing all over, but you know, there are some movies that everyone's losing their mind and you're the person that's just like, oh no, not, yeah. not for me. Yeah. And so I don't think this is a life-changing, you know, award-winning cinema, mm-hmm. but I do know that this is a movie that I I strongly dislike for very personal reasons that I will go into. Okay. So this movie to me feels like, I guess because it's directed by Rob Reiner, it feels like when Harry met Sally 30 years later, once Harry and Sally have been married for a while, just feels like what happens after those credits roll. Mm-hmm. That's what it feels like to me. We even have the direct addresses to the camera that he implemented in When Harry Met Sally. And it's about Katie and Ben Jordan. They're hitting this rough patch in their marriage where the fire has gone out essentially. And while their kids are away at camp for a very indeterminate amount of time, um, they are coming to terms with the state of their marriage. Is this worth, is it worth saving? It asks a lot of those questions and um, at least shows a lot of probably very common moments in kind of a long marriage. I recognize it moments from my parents' marriage even. And probably from so many people's parents' marriage, you know, those moments where, where kids come in, where other responsibilities come into the, come into the picture other than that honeymoon phase after that honeymoon phase, I should say. Yeah, that's what the movie is to me. Yeah, what do you, what do you have to add? Do you have anything to add to that plot description or is that? I mean, not, not really. I, I completely agree with you. This is, you know, when Harry and Sally got divorced. Yeah. Basically, it's the mm-hmm. same. When Harry divorced Sally. Yeah, it's the <laughs> same setup with the talking heads. I just don't I think the fact that this movie is marketed as a comedy is criminal Mm. because I don't find 95% of this movie funny. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I think the comedic things that they try to do are what make this movie bad. Mm. Uh, I I think it is the more dramatic stuff that works better. Yeah, for th- for this movie mainly because that's what that's what more heavily features just Bruce Willis and Michelle Pfeiffer together because every secondary character in this movie is unbearable. Yeah, they they are unbearable. Yeah. So when you get the two of them together again, not life changing cinema, but it it settles down into what this movie possibly could have been better at. Mm-hmm. had they cut the fat off but I also watching it I'm just like this movie is 20 20 years old was this a comedy back in the 90s like were people you know you see you see a lot of these things that feel very 90s even for us who you know we were just getting into our teens mm-hmm. there you know uh, Bruce Willis and his friends have this very weird conversation about cyber sex 
which mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, holy shit, 99. That's right. Cyber sex was a big fucking deal. Mm-hmm. You have the the trios because you have the main guy and girl. They each have two friends. The two guy friends are misogynistic buffoons. The two girlfriends, one is abrasive. The other is Julie Hagerty because Julie Hagerty is a type <laughs> at, at this point. Yeah. And it's just like... I, I guess maybe this was a, a comedy 20 years ago, maybe? Maybe. But considering the reviews, maybe not. Maybe it did not land. <laughs> I but, don't... I mean... I don't know. I was, I was curious to talk to you about this in terms of perspective, because mm-hmm. your parents are divorced... Mm-hmm. which being a child in that scenario is very different from me who has been divorced <laughs> yes watching this movie yes um and I think that's what makes it difficult for me especially to watch it as a comedy is it this starts is... it starts off some of the dialogue some of the stuff they say actually does have a certain sense of being profound I wrote down some of the lines, like one of Michelle's first line is, when does a spoon become just a spoon? Yeah. Because she's talking about this plastic Chinese restaurant spoon she gave to Bruce Willis. It was from their first date on their first anniversary. And he was so happy because he thought he lost it. And then it sort of ends with, when is a spoon just a spoon? And so it has these touches where it's just like, that hits the right button. Absolutely. And then it sort of tries to make light of it. And that's where it goes off the rails for me is it's just like, I, uh, they want to have their cake and eat it too by making this some lighthearted, you know, marriage comedy. But in reality, the stuff that works is when it's asking really hard questions about when your relationship ends. Yeah, because I have two comparisons here to when Harry met Sally. It's probably unfair to compare this, but it's tough when you have the same director using a really similar framework. It's yeah, um, it's the easiest comparison to make. Uh, the Friends, I think that's when it first really irked me when we have the two scenes with Ben and Katie's friend groups. And I think it's because of how crude they are. You know, with Rita Wilson, you know, I enjoy Rita in these little cameo parts she always gets in these kinds of movies. I always enjoy her, but um, it's, I feel like I'm just gonna sound like a prude here, but I think the joy and the universality of Nora Ephron's script in When Harry Met Sally is that she doesn't stoop to anything lewd or blue. I don't remember Carrie Fisher really ever sitting down and talking about how the vagina needs to be relaxed in order to welcome a penis inside it. And she doesn't need to, because that character, Carrie Fisher, when Harry met Sally, is such a real best friend, and she still is bitter and snide. And But mm-hmm. it's stuff that would come out of, like, my mouth. So it's a very relatable character, whereas Rita Wilson is just sitcom bullshit to the max, which is a detriment to her because Rita Wilson like thinking of what she does in Sleepless in Seattle 
-hmm. when she starts crying, talking about an affair to remember for no reason. And it's hysterical and it's simple. Mm -hmm. And you just, just let Rita Wilson be simple. Don't ask her to be this abrasive fool. Yeah. And yeah, all of her friends and and Ben's friends too, they're pretty abysmal people. Awful. So um, that's what just irked me right off. I was like, I don't like these people. I think this reads, this turns me off so much because then I have a hard time, you know, rooting for Katie and Ben, I guess, by way of their friendships. You know, I think I, is your kind of, does your perception of these two people having these people as their friends in this script, to me, it changed. I was like, I don't really think much of these people for having them as their friends. I'm like, oh. Like going further with that, asking these idiots for advice. Oh, when sure. When your yeah. marriage is going down the tubes. Yeah, and why actively, would you talk to these people? <laughs> yeah, actively sort of zoning out, like thinking, oh, they're making a fair point when it's just like, your friend is talking about how the penis is a battering ram and the vagina is a receiver and this is causing you to have an epiphany. Get the fuck out of that restaurant and work on your life, please. Yeah, like, no, no, no. I wanted to, I was remembering, I wanted to pick up also what you said about, um, how with this spoon is just a spoon, trying to make light of these really deep questions that you face when a relationship is potentially over. Again, to compare it to when Harry met Sally, it's like they're taking that lighthearted approach that you can have in kind of a meet cute romantic comedy when the buildup is to this ultimate happy ending. I think you can play light with that. But when it's going in the opposite direction, when there's a potential of relationship ending that's so different you can't it's so hard to play light when that's at stake for some reason the movie that popped in my head as a somewhat comparison of this is uh the parent trap the um the the the, the remake more than anything was in my head because you know late 90s that's where what, what our focus is today true And that's also something that, you know, I think it also comes from that movie having a better screenplay. Yeah. But you have some pretty deep questions that come out of some of the conversations between Dennis Quaid and Natasha Richardson in that movie. I'm thinking like their setup date on the boat, even something toward the end where they do finally get together. There's some deeper questions about making this ended relationship work again. Mm Mm-hmm. But the tone of the movie surrounding it is working, is actively working toward getting them back together. And you see the entire way during the movie that these people ended their relationship when they were much younger, wanted to go on different paths, but the people they are now that they're older do work together again. And there's never any question of that. And you're actively rooting for these two to get back together, even with the kids aside. Mm-hmm. Like you want them to be making out at the end. Yeah. I have such an enormous problem with how this movie ends. Both, both times I've watched this movie, when it ends, I am literally shrieking at the TV. Don't do this. You were not supposed to be together. Mm. And I think some of that does come from my personal baggage, which again is why I am 
very comfortable saying I personally dislike this movie while being able to say others may enjoy it. But there's no reason for these two to stay together. Yeah. Because nothing changes about them. They have not grown. She Mm. just suddenly has this really terrible and emotionally manipulative montage in the car on the way to pick their kids up. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly it's just like, I just don't really want to put the work into being alone anymore. So we're going to stay married. And Mm. the dialogue she's saying is really trying to put a good spin on it. Like, oh, this, this is us. And I like my city and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, you are going to be right back where you are right now in four fucking days. Do not do this. Yeah. And I have never, I don't know that I've ever had a movie make me so homicidally angry just by an ending. Yeah. Like this is an innocuous bullshit movie that shouldn't really make you feel much. And I have felt visceral rage every time I've watched this ending because it is so unrealistic and like their little tag at the end where he's just like what words am I thinking of oh is it happily ever after I'm like it's not it's not (laughs) that's not a thing it's like you are up shit's creek may sans paddle sans paddle (laughs) (laughs) that's that's what that's what he was thinking what, what a good point, because all we see of them, especially with all the, the only kind of flashbacks we see is of them, I think we maybe see one or two flashbacks of them when they're kind of happy together. The rest of this, the rest of the evidence that we see of this relationship is just fight on fight on fight. I think there was a fantastic quote, let me pull it up. Not a fantastic view, it's just a quote, but from the San Francisco, San Francisco Chronicles review of this movie, the movie's most inexcusable failing is that despite all the flashbacks, we never get a sense of what this relationship was like when it worked. And I think that is so true because all we see is them just fighting, fighting, fighting. And we never see them, like you said, actively working to change, working to make this work. Like you, even as much as Michelle, I think, we can talk about if you think she really sells this final monologue that she has or not. It is, she's just kind of copping to not really wanting to make it work anymore and not wanting to put in the effort to make something else work with another person. She just kind of wants to go back to how it was, which how it was. Is you fighting everything. Didn't seem that great. Yep. So, and yeah, it's emotionally manipulative for the audience because, because you have somebody as good as Michelle delivering this so you can to me as the viewer I know I was totally sitting there being like oh but this is really poignant Michelle that you're but now that I'm sitting here thinking about it's like oh she I got got like (laughs) yes yeah and so and through no Michelle's just doing what she's doing she is doing her job but this but what this character is doing it's manipulating me it's manipulating the audience to believe that this is a happy ending when. So I do have a question for you that sort of dovetails into a note I took on this. Do you think this movie takes sides between the two of them? Ooh, I think it takes, I think it takes Bruce Willis's side. Yes. I think it takes Bruce Willis's side. 
because I didn't like that it did this. I think it paints Michelle, especially once she gets to start dating Mr. Man on the side. For a second there, she's not painted in a good light. And he's painted really sympathetically. So something I picked up on this time around that I don't know if I caught the first time or if I did, I had forgotten, is that the movie kicks off with just a Ben talking head. And one of the first lines out of his mouth is, I've always been big on happy endings. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what he gets at the end. And I, I think the script does show Ben to be petulant and easy to anger, even though they there's rarely a scene where they're not yelling at each other, where it's just mm -hmm. one who's angry. It's usually both of them. Yeah. But I think the script too often paints him as, oh, I'm the fun guy. I'm the cool dad. Like, I'm doing, like, there's nothing wrong with me. Why can't you have fun? And they really like painting Katie as sort of the buzzkill shrew. Mm -hmm. And then give her dialogue that, you know, sort of explains it, it explains her perception of what she's doing, but the damage is already done sort of thing in terms of how we perceive her. Yeah. She's explaining after the fact. It's like, well, we, okay, thank you, but that doesn't really do us much good. Right. Like yeah. I'm thinking of her, you know, after they get back from Italy, the whole, I don't like being the designated driver in this relationship sort of thing which is a, a fair criticism and something we've seen, but that line comes two thirds of the way through the movie, comes right after it's it sort of shown her picking a fight with him about not wanting to have sex. And it's just, it. I don't feel it gives her the same benefit of the doubt that it gives Ben. Yeah. And in fact, that's why I sort of hate that montage at the end. And I hate that she is the one that makes the call to keep the marriage going mm -hmm. is because Ben gets this whole, this whole sort of catharsis scene at the restaurant where he loses his cool mm -hmm. and has all these memories and goes to see her and, you know, is, is even more gung ho about getting back into the marriage than he was. And we don't get that from Katie. We, we just get that montage, which, like you said, is 80% of them screaming at each other. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly she's, she's, she's back on board. Yeah. And it's just like, guys, this is bullshit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is so wrong. Yeah. Yeah, it's not fair to these characters. Or it's just not fair to her. No. To... As I was watching this movie, I was definitely reminded of... What, um, what my parents went through a little bit. It was, um, I wrote down, you know, the questions that Katie's asking feel like questions my mom must have asked herself when she made the decision to divorce my dad. Um, and it was really tough to watch Michelle in those scenes and kind of think about, yeah, mom must have felt like that. But then was mom also giving up and not wanting to work at it. You know, all those questions that, um, that I had 
once I learned the news um, from my mom that she was going to do that. Oh, my parents' divorce is really, that's tough to bring into this. It's a lot. I've still, it's still, it's so much that I'm still unpacking six years on, seven years on that um, it's, but, but all that to say, all my sentence fragments to say that watching her asking, can there any, is there anything that we can do to make this work again? Felt like watching my mom and thinking of how she chose not to and to take a different path. And I guess that's why I'm such a staunch defender of Katie's character and wishing she got a little more credit is that's who I see myself in much more than Ben in terms of my marriage, Mm -hmm. being the responsible one, being the... You didn't have the purple crayon? No, I did not have the purple crayon. Very much see the world as it is. And it's one of those things, you know, that was only four years. Theirs is 15. So, you know, you multiply that by what I had by three, And that does bring a lot more memories. Thankfully, I had no kids in the equation, which always makes it easier. Mm -hmm. But it's like, that's part of the, that's part of the grieving process. You know, you, you have tried to build something to the best of its ability with somebody else. And it sucks to watch that crumble and feel like a failure at times and realize Mm -hmm. that your life for whatever period of time was not as great as you wish it had been and trying to figure out how to make that not feel like a complete waste when when you decide to call it quits mm-hmm. and all of that all of that blows but I am so I'm so grateful I I did it <laughs> I do not regret being divorced yeah one second of my life but that doesn't mean that in the first few months after, you're always going to question it. Was that the right decision? Should I have stayed? Should I have worked harder? It, it's natural. And I think that really just cuts Katie's legs out from under her by having her go back by granting Ben this happy ending because it sort of goes against what I perceive in her a a great strength of being the one to say, this is not working. I am unhappy. We have tried and it's time. Mm-hmm. We, we need to, it, it's done. It's, it's time. Mm-hmm. We need to cut our losses while, we, while we're still young enough to. Yeah. And I really don't think it gives her enough credit for continuing to be the responsible one in this relationship when Ben is mm-hmm. so comfy just staying angry all the goddamn time sorry i have so many feelings about about this fucking movie good no it's it's so funny how it's bringing up so many deep memories and this movie has no right to do that to us (laughs) but um but because it's just funny we have just experiences with it but watching bruce willis really just being an angry partner wanting to come to some sort of decision together, whether just trying to to build that bridge back up, I think, 
have the purple crayon in the relationship and make it how he wants it to be. I also, cause so we know Bruce Willis is John McClane from Die Hard. My last name is McClane, obviously. I have an uncle named John McClane. He looks like Bruce Willis. So this was all very much like- There's a lot we, happening. There was a lot happening as I was watching Bruce Willis. I hate how this movie made me think of my own dad and his and what he did in, when it came to the divorce. Dad, um, dad let her go, you know? This was mom's decision to, to end the marriage after over 30 years together and dad respected her wishes. And I think as much as I would like them to be back together and I would like to have a bit of a, a regular stable that just typical family stability, one house, one roof to go home to, I have to remind myself that I think they're both stronger people apart. I think mom, what, how her life is gone. I think she's in a much better place. I think dad, especially my relationship with my dad is in a much stronger place than it ever would have been. I think if they'd still been together. So I hated watching this performance of this man <laughs> that looked very much like my own family member, just like fighting for it. And it's like, uh, made me question it's like should my dad have fought for it but it's like no i think i think this they made the best decision michael this these are not your parents this your parents made the right call i think so don't take what this movie is is trying to feed you as what should have happened don't do that but yeah for some reason it really got me in my feels about what my parents what could have been but i think as sad as i am that they couldn't make it work i think they have gone down different paths for the better it takes the same amount of strength if not more to to end a relationship it does i yeah i think that is ultimately true it's so it's so easy to justify things and go with what's comfy and figure out a mental way to go around it and it just it takes a lot of it takes a lot of strength to be the one to say no Mm -mm. I wonder if it could have been just a much stronger movie if, if yeah, we let Katie keep on her path and continue. Well, I just and, think back to a, yet, yet another Julie Hagerty movie, Marriage Story. Yeah. Marriage Story had plenty of levity baked in there at certain points. And that's, I know that that is a shockingly divisive movie for people it was my favorite movie of that year again fully putting it out there probably due to the divorce but that was real all of that was real to me that was very real to me too when i watched marriage story and mm -hmm. the buttons that movie pushed for me and how it showed this dissolution of a marriage and all the feelings that go into that that's that's the divorce movie that I respond to. Noah Bumbach knows how to write about that. I think the squid and the whale is very similar. Agreed. To that. Um, he knows how to really marry the two, the humor and the real pain and sadness that can go into a relationship breaking apart. Yeah. Or something, like I said, something that is the parent trap. 
yeah. that sort of goes the opposite direction. You're starting off with a very light sort of frothy comedy that involves divorce. And instead of the levity being baked into that, you sort of have the, the harder questions being baked into that for the adult characters. And again, that has a really lovely balance involved, not just for the, the parents, but also how it impacts the, the children as part of that. Yeah. And this movie just decided to ride the rail right in the middle. And that's why I don't like it. Yeah. Yeah, I think you said something earlier about the tone. How, yeah, just the tone of it just is, is not fit in whatever we are, whatever story we're telling. The I, tone does just not feel, the tone just doesn't fit. It really made me wish that I had been old enough to like be sitting in a movie theater in College Station, Texas when this came out in 99 and just see how an audience of non-film critics responded and sort of have mm-hmm. that memory to draw back on. I want to see if if people did actually find this funny in 99. I think with Michelle specifically, I... I enjoyed her little talking head head moments. I think when she, I think she does talk about the Harold and the Purple Crayon. Um, yeah, there are some, I think there are some funny moments that she has, you know, when they go to parents weekend um, and she has, she has to do her bite plate. <laughs> it's a skew. <laughs> it's a skew. Um, the moment when he's about to come up, when they're maybe going to try to rekindle a little bit of something and she has his dry cleaning. He's coming to pick up his dry cleaning mm-hmm. and she's trying to figure out where to put the dry cleaning and she's waiting for him to arrive and she's playing with the slinky. That little business I think is really charming. Is it, does she the one who says when they're in Italy and they run into the, the Kirby's where were the Mansons from Spawn Ranch? Is that her joke? He starts it, he says, we're the Mansons and she f- finishes it with from Spawn Ranch. I thought that was funny. Yeah. But isn't it, isn't it, isn't it amazing how the Kirby's are, it's the example of honesty in a relationship, even though that couple is played to. They are a nightmare. Yeah. Even though Rob Reiner asked them to be this very cloying couple, I think at the root of their relationship, at least is a good core to have of honesty but it's, I don't like how then they're seen as the couple that you're supposed to really actively hate when I think they're almost the Miranda in this situation. Well, and the funniest part of that is, is that this honest couple, despite how they're presented, Ben and Katie's hatred of them is what makes them horny the rest of the Europe trip. Like, what? I don't know. I, I agree with you, although I did make a note that I would classify this as a Michelle is trying movie. Yeah. Cause there's a lot of, there's a lot of work for, yeah. for her in this one to sort of make that, the, that stuff sing and you can yeah. see it. Yeah. Especially with that monologue at the end. That's, that's some hard work that she's doing. But yeah, I agree with you. I think her talking heads are her best dialogue moment that's when I enjoy watching her most and then yes I we're just totally on the same page because her 
physical stuff at parents weekend is is what I enjoyed most from her like when they get out of the car and Bruce Willis starts sobbing hugging their son and she just has this panicked glare on her face like lock it up man yeah and that that got me although I do think again the parents week and a lot of the stuff they ask them to do is cringy Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of like when they're pulling the tug of war rope and they fall on top of each other and they're laughing naturally look at each other and immediately stop mainly so we can have a shot of that horrible know-it-all daughter looking at them like oh my parents are getting divorced and I'm just like Jesus Christ what's going on with mommy and daddy (laughs) mommy why is daddy sleeping on the couch all of a sudden why is the bed on the couch made up are you guys excited about your anniversary I I never asked my parents that I never remembered when their anniversary was no kids do not remember their parents anniversary dates I can, and I don't even remember what my parents did on their anniversaries. I hated that. And she was nominated for an award for that performance. It's unacceptable. Why is the, why is the bed on the couch made up? Shut the fuck up. Go to bed. Go back to your cabin, little girl. Go back to your cabin. No one invited you. It is the middle of the night. So to sort of put a nice little bow on what we've been dancing around, which is Michelle's final monologue i i love when roger ebert speaks to my soul on movies because there are some it's always his negative reviews too obviously (laughs) but that's where you're like ah my soul sister um for this one in his review one of the questions he asked was who thought this movie would be entertaining which correct roger ebert but then Yes, this is what he says about the end. And it just speaks to me. And he says, and who thinks the misery of this film can be repaired by a showboat monologue at the end that's well delivered by Pfeiffer, but reads like an audition scene. I thought, who's doing this in their acting classes now? Who who has done this? I need to know who has done this monologue. And that's very much how it, it feels. There's no depth it's just again this she has clearly been directed to have this wonky tone of not crying naturally so kind of in an effort for this maybe to be light-hearted and like funny sad yeah which actually just makes me angrier <laughs> yeah, because you're actually talking about it's again it's a very serious it's very serious and I think she was probably told to you know make it as bring this up a little bit because I, I could see how if we just did it straight yeah I don't know if, how it would read I think it would read very differently well this whole thing and I think it's why they tell her to bump it up is because this is when Katie becomes a quote-unquote real person because now she's the emotional one and mm-hmm. she's sort of being goofy in her you know, accepting of going back to this shitty marriage. Mm-hmm. And I think the way that Michelle has been directed to do this monologue is supposed to make us okay with that little tag of them being back together, the talking head with the two of them, quote unquote, living happily ever after. Mm-hmm. 
but it just doesn't. It's a terrible monologue. It's terrible for her. She can't do it naturally. So any of the good stuff that she has done up to this point is nullified by this monologue. It's, it's ridiculous how much this final scene massacres anything even remotely good that came before it in this movie. Mm-hmm. It made me think of some, another kind of, trying, I was trying to think, go through if I've seen kind of a, a, a monologue that ends a movie like this where a character has a really big, just emotional outpouring like this. Can't think of it off the top of my head right now, but again, I think it really just speaks to the tone problem in this movie where it again just doesn't doesn't fit. It just does not fit what we've had this character do up to this point. And I, I really think so much of that boils down to where was Nora Ephron? Like, if you're going to do When Harry Divorced Sally, ha- have your screenwriter on hand for the love of fuck. Come on, mm-hmm. man. Yeah. Because, I mean, what, who am I trying to think of? I'm thinking of, like, Francis in... Uh, Francis and Something's Gotta Give. Okay. I would... I would have her give me some pointers in a restaurant mm-hmm. <laughs> if, if my marriage is coming to an end. Yeah. I would rather have her than fucking Rita and Julie Hagerty. Yeah. You're not talking about anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. I love when we talk about movies like this because the longer our silences are, the more I know our feelings were super complicated about movie you know it's very yeah just like i can't even it doesn't seem enough to say you know i didn't like it or you know this was incorrect there's something else and i think with our personal experiences it's just like oh i didn't think i was gonna have to unpack a lot today but and this movie tricks you Mm -hmm. it literally tries to trick you into thinking that this is the right ending. Yeah. Fucking 90s. God yeah. damn it. Not on my watch. <laughs> or as Wendy Williams says, death to all of them. Uh, I hate that Rob Reiner's good streak like ended with American President. Yeah. Because some, pod, some podcast may... God, knowing me, it was probably this had Oscar buzz. I can't remember which one they were doing. But brought up the point that Rob Reiner has done a lot of good movies, but he doesn't really have a signature style. Mm-hmm. Like he wouldn't watch A Few Good Men and When Harry Met Sally in the same day and go, oh, this must have been the same director, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, from Spinal Tap to American President, there's really just not a dud among them. They are all movies that I have watched and rewatched copious amounts of time. And then after American President, it's just like, what the hell happened, man? Oh, yeah, with like Alex and Emma. Rumor has it. The Bucket List. Bucket List. That's the This Had Oscar Buzz episode. That, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Triggered that You're memory. You're welcome. Yeah, and, and it... I feel like this was 
if I'm remembering going through the IMDb correctly, that this was his follow-up to American President. And it's just like, what a... Oh, you forgot about Ghosts of Mississippi. Ghosts of Mississippi is a fine film. It is not my favorite, but it is it is a solid enough movie to where I would not say the drop in quality had occurred with that one. Okay. This um, brought me back to, um, and honestly, I... I would venture to guess it would have occurred with any pairing they put in this movie. It brought me back to one of the quotes we saw when we did our Up Close and Personal episode, Mm -hmm. which was that the film sort of became a movie just about two movie stars. And I feel like that's what this one was. I feel like this, this feels very hastily written but that they were going to cast two megawatt actors, which Michelle and Bruce certainly were in 1999. And that was going to, that was going to be that. That's how people were going to come see the movie, regardless of quality, is this is a movie about the two people in it. I had thought of, you know, with, I think the closest I can think of to something like this is like in the, 2000 2010 where you would have angelina jolie and insert male actor here with like with with brad pitt with mr mrs smith or even her and brad her and johnny depp in the tourist or you know i think when angelina directed herself and brad in by the sea um you know it's regardless of quality you have these two megawatt people and that's going to draw you in that just occurred to me. I was like, this feels like, you know, uh, uh, the tourist or uh, something like that, where the name factor alone is going to get you interested. It seems like it's, it wasn't a huge hit. I mean, it, it kind of grossed just a, just a little bit over its budget, but, um, you know, people did go, so. Like you said, this was her thir- Michelle's third movie in that year alone. She was incredibly bankable. Bruce Willis was sort of starting to make his pivot back to action slash comedy. So I I guess, again, if we're marketing this as a comedy, that was a step in that direction. (laughs) But two big, big names to where it's just like, if you're bored on a Saturday afternoon, hey, babe, you want to go see the new Bruce Willis, Michelle Pfeiffer movie? Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) I, I probably do. Yeah. They shouldn't have, but you know, they probably We, we can't always make the right decisions in those moments. No, you know, you just, you pay your $10 and you, know, you just hope for the best. And to give them credit, I can't remember which, it's the Los Angeles Times review. There were a lot of good, well, not good for the movie, good for us pull quotes for this movie. But the Los Angeles Times gives them credit. They said, you know, Willis and Pfeiffer acquit themselves as well as the script and direction allow. Mm -hmm. I would say that's true. Yeah. Like everyone else in that cast is pretty dreadful. But again, due to the script, I think that our two leads do as 
well as they can under the circumstances. That That is something I will say. Yeah, absolutely. Would you recommend this at all to people? Personally, no. Mm -hmm. uh, again, I feel like I carry too much baggage into this one to just outright say no one should ever watch this. So I'd like to make that delineation very clear. But personally, no, I don't. I don't think anyone needs to see this movie. Yeah. You sounded like you did before before we started talking. Well, yeah, well, because then once I really started unpacking, I think I was thinking about just the moments that I enjoyed of Michelle's. And I think with this, I think going into whenever we sit down to record, I think I remember I try to remember a lot of my Michelle moments. That way I can make sure to bring them up. Just make sure because she is the focus of this. So yes. Um, so I think once we sit down and really look at the movie overall, and I then speak to somebody else about it and their experience, then it can change. Um, but I think definitely going like a half hour before this, I was thinking, oh, well, Michelle, I really enjoyed in this movie. I'm gonna have to talk to Jerry about that monologue at the very end. Um, yeah, this reminded me about, you know, my parents' divorce and, oh, because I connected to it in that way, maybe that film, maybe that means it meant something. But then I realized that I was manipulated. And so, um, so then, so then, then it changed. When I realized that I got got, then I said, you're the girl I knew you were. You, you will not trick me today, Rob Reiner. Not today, Satan. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it changed. Over the course of this hour, very unlike the characters in this movie, I have changed, I have grown. I hazard to bring up awards because this one was not picked up by any awards. I know it got, wasn't a Razzie. It was like a, a cousin to a Razzie. Michelle and Bruce got nominated for worst on-screen couple, oh. which even, even for me who didn't like this movie, I find a little harsh because they're really the only reasons to put it on. They're not terrible no. together. There are By worse any means. couples. Yep. Nominate Michelle and Treat Williams in Deep End of the Ocean this year. Yeah. That I'll stand by. Yeah. I uh, I would not say this is the worst Michelle pairing with a leading man. Not at all. No. In terms of chemistry, I think it is decidedly middle of the road. And you don't really... And it, it, because they fight so much, it's like it's hard to tell... What their romantic chemistry was like. We only maybe get one scene where he's about to do her on the kitchen table and that's cute, but it's kind of hard to really properly judge because we don't get a fair view of of when it was good and when it was also when it was not so good. Which I think is the other sort of unspoken, unquantifiable reason why you don't root for them to get back together. Yeah. There is no moment where you're, where, again, God, I keep circling back to Parent Trap. There is no point in this movie where you're just like, oh my God, they need to Mac. And I think that is just something that is so necessary if you're going to have a couple, especially in this awful situation, if you are going to have them end up together is you yeah. need to want them to yeah. make out. Yeah. Simple as that. It's very simple, but I think that is the... Uh... In order for you to really root for this couple, you've got to see them 
Yeah. You've got to see that spark. You want to you want to you want to see Harry and Sally make out minute one. Yes. I could have been, I would have been fine with not seeing Ben and Katie not make out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is more chemistry. You want to see Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan make out in Sleepless in Seattle long before they've ever met. And you never see Katie and Ben apart, really. And you're just like, I don't, I don't think you should. I don't think you should make out. But yeah, we we discussed I this was going nowhere near the Oscars, obviously. We discussed our 99 lineup back in deep end of the ocean. Again, this was not going to crack that, although it really did make me wonder where they campaigned her at, you know, in 99, because after watching the movie, I would have said campaign her drama, but if they were marketing this as a comedy, who knows what that minefield was. They probably wanted to campaign her as a, in comedy. That's, that's, the, that's their call, you know? Yeah. That's, that's fine. The, clo- the not- Globes have done weirder things. We're not members of the HFPA, and thank goodness for it. Correct. Okay, the one, the one scene we didn't really cover is how the hell did they get Betty White in this movie? You know, you know that Rob must have worked with her back in like All in the Family days when they when they were both on hit TV shows at the same time. It's just like, hey, want to come be in a bed with Bruce Willis for you know six minutes? You get to sit right next to him too. Yeah, come on. Come on, Betty. I did think that scene was the closest we got to something out of like when Harry met Sally. Very much so. Um, I thought that was actually very, very creative. That only scene I would say that kind of hits any kind of peak or um, level of creative ingenuity. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think they cast all four of their parents very well for the types that they were supposed to be. And it, yeah, 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 yeah. What did Betty White say? If your face moved, you'd get laid more often? Is that basically what she said to Michelle's mother? Come on, Dot, put out once in a while. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's, it's much better to play, it's much easier to play hide the salami after you make up or what did she say? Uh, yeah, hearing Betty White say hide the salami is just like a white knuckle moment for me. I don't know how to handle it. <laughs> and a, a white knuckle and a bat? Do you not just, uh, do you not, did you not, were you not here for it that? It always, it always surprises me and I don't think it's a surprise in a good way. Okay. <laughs> it's going to be the smile on her face after she says it. She just is very, she has a very mischievous smile after she says that. I, Yes. It's very much sort of a prologue to Grandma Annie and the proposal. Very much so. All right, Buster. Any any other thoughts on the story of us? I'd like to close the book on the story of us. <laughs> I'm taking my purple crayon and I'm going home. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, so I guess that brings us to uh, six degrees of Michelle Pfeiffer. Yep. Hit it. Um, so six degrees of Michelle Pfeiffer 
is the game we uh, wrap up every episode with, uh, where um, each of us gives the name of an actor or an actress, and we connect them back to Michelle's filmography in Six People or Less. Jerry, would you like to give a receive first? Uh, I would like to receive first this round. Okay. Your person for today is Elizabeth Moss. Elizabeth Moss. Okay, there's a a real fun connection between the person I'm giving you and Elizabeth Moss. Um, Ooh, okay. We love it when we can connect it all. Okay, so Elizabeth Moss, I need to get out of... Yeah, get her out of TV land. I was about to say I need to get out of TV land because that's where my brain automatically goes. Um, okay. I, I don't know why this is the movie that popped in my head, but it's the easiest connection and there's probably a shorter way, but we're going to go with this. Okay. Um, so Michelle is in Stardust with Claire Danes, mm-hmm. who is in Shakespeare's Romeo plus Juliet with Leonardo DiCaprio who is in Wolf of Wall Street with Jonah Hill, who is in Get Him to the Greek with Elizabeth Moss. I've never seen Get Him to the Greek. She's in that movie? And that's fine. That's fine, Michael. Yes, she is uh, Jonah Hill's uh, beleaguered, frigid girlfriend in Get Him to the Greek. Poor thing. She can never crack a joke in anything, can she? No, they do not. They're just like, you know what? You're not here to be funny. We've 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 got Jonah Hill and Russell Brand and Rose Byrne singing about buttholes. Wow, what a winning endorsement for Get Him to the Greek. <laughs> that that movie you haven't seen yet just moved to the top of your list. Yeah. Can't wait to watch that after this. Uh so mine for you is actually who played Elizabeth Moss's role in the film version of Handmaid's Tale. And the reason you're getting her is because I have talked about Parent Trap ad nauseum in this movie. Uh, my person for you is Miss Natasha Richardson. Let's see, because I have a very, I'm going to see, because I have a very easy, like a one person connection with that one. But let me see if I can do. You're allowed to do your one connection. Eh, be I be loud s- and proud. Okay. Um, so yeah, the one, so Natasha Richardson was in, um, well, I'll start. So Michelle is in. A Midsummer Night's Dream and Stardust with Rupert Everett, who's in The Comfort of Strangers with Natasha Richardson. You and fucking Rupert Everett, you've had such luck with him. And that, who else is in that movie with him? Because I feel like you've used that as a connection before. Was Christopher Walken and Helen Mirren. So I was trying to think of like, oh, I can't pull at them really quick. The Helen Mirren and Christopher Walken. I love, we've all got those weird-ass movies in our back pockets. It's very good. It's on Criterion, too, so you can, like, mm. if you want to get the DVD 50% off right now. <gasps> okay. It's worth it. It's a good movie. Yeah, it's one, I know you've talked to me about it, but that title always slips my mind, so I'll need to add it to my list. Well, Pfeiffer fans, this has been another episode of Pfeiffer Fridays. <laughs> keep on wanting to say I'm Jerry Downey, but no, I'm not. I'm Michael McLean. <laughs> and you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Michael D. McLean. 
And I am Jerry Downey, and you can follow me on Twitter and Letterboxd at jerrydowney913. Please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It makes us easier to find so we can continue to spread the Michelle gospel. You can also find updates about the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Fiverr Fridays. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you again next week for Fiverr Fridays. There's a history here, and histories don't happen overnight. You know, in Mesopotamia or, or ancient Troy or somewhere back there, 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 there are cities built on top of other cities, but I don't want to build another city. I like this city. I know where we keep the Bactine and, 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 and what kind of mood you're in when you wake up by which eyebrow is higher and you always know that I'm a little quiet in the morning and compensate accordingly. That's a dance you perfect over time. And it's hard. It's much harder than I thought it would be, but there's more good than bad and you don't just give up.